Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hi everyone, this is the Yale University Press Podcast and I'm Michael Hoke. Just a couple of notes at the top. First, we're back to our regular weekly schedule of new episodes after a hiatus this summer. Secondly, you may have noticed that jazzy new theme song just now. I want to thank Yale School of Music grad Hilary Purrington, who composed it for us. And now, this week's episode. As society continues to evolve into a digital one, many young women are turning to social media as a path to fulfilling careers. For a small few, this can turn into a lucrative job, those coveted influencers companies seek out online. For most, however, their hard work only ever amounts to free labor for corporate brands. Brooke Aaron Duffy, an assistant professor in the Department of Communication at Cornell, has spent time with these social media producers, fashion and beauty bloggers, an industry where this is prevalent, budding journalists and entrepreneurs, and she urges us to consider the stakes of the unpaid labor in her new book, Not Getting Paid to Do What You Love. She joins me today. Brooke, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. So what is the, what's the current state of the creative economy? So the current state is that much of the creative work that has sustained um, aspiring professionals over the decades has, of course, migrated to digital and social media platforms. And increasingly, people who are trying to either gain access to this field or else kind of climb up the career ladder are understanding various social media platforms, again, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, or especially Instagram, as these sites to engage in creative brand building. And the idea is that if you post on social media, if you're posting great content, if you are dedicating your time and and energy to this, this is a way to either make a living as kind of an independent creative entrepreneur, and there's such an emphasis on entrepreneurialism right now, Um, or alternatively, maybe get discovered by an existing agency or industry for your creative talents. And are these, are these, um, these social media producers, these, I guess, jobs, for lack of a better word, are they, are they new jobs? Are they replacing old jobs? It's a combination. So what we have is that people who have worked in the traditional media industries, whether it's magazine or entertainment or advertising, um, they're increasingly given a lot more responsibilities in terms of creating, maintaining, sustaining an online platform. Um, But increasingly, we're seeing the emergence of these new professions which are in a lot of ways stitched together forms of content creation inherited from the 20th century. So we have content producers who are essentially engaging in photography and editing and writing um, that form of editing as well. And then promotion. And that's one of the things that I kept hearing about is the incredible amount of time and energy 
that it takes to promote oneself and kind of stand out in this hyper-competitive career economy. And are the opportunities here uh, for the, I guess, lucky few that really really take off? Is it that you, you build a big following and then these companies will start to pay you almost as a, spon- as a sponsorship, as like a professional athlete or something? It's an economy that is based on building and maintaining one's affective relationships. And so there's various terms about what this new moment is, whether it's the like economy or the attention economy. And it essentially amounts to how many people are following and paying attention to the message you are trying to get across in in the social media landscape. And so what happens is companies are trying to find so-called influencers, basically opinion leaders for the social media age where young people, and it's, it skews female, have these substantial social media followings. Again, whether it's Instagram likes or comments or whether it's on their blog or whether it's the number of people following on Twitter. And these are seen as ways for these advertisers and, and retailers to reach out to audiences in a more, you know, quote unquote, organic or authentic way. And so they reach out to these people with their, with their online followings and see if they are willing to promote the branded product or good amongst their, their social media network. And so, as you mentioned, this is something that um, people, and you, and you say it skews towards women, are doing to sort of jumpstart their career. Um, is it working as a way to jumpstart careers for, for most of them? Is it working? Well, it's working for a substantial few, and these are the people that we constantly hear about in the media, whether it's these articles on, you know, how X blogger is making $15,000 for a single post or how another blogger is making $8 million a year. And so, you know, mainstream media, and I think popular culture really enjoys hearing about these success stories, the lucky few who are getting paid just to do what they love. But what, what happens is that this, this conceals attention away from those people who are not making thousands or millions of dollars or anywhere close to it. Essentially, they're getting paid in what retailers and advertisers have long promised people, which is exposure. Hmm. And so the idea here is if you, you know, if you tag our branded good or if you hype our product, um, Maybe we'll feature you on the homepage. Maybe we'll send you a free product. But these, these promises don't provide any material compensation. And so it's an incredibly lopsided system when you think about, again, those that are rising to the top and making hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars from this sort of proto-profession to those that are pulling in very little, if anything. And what are... Obviously, that's that's some of the challenge here. What are some of the other challenges um, faced, particularly by by women? Um, you make a, an emphasis on that, who are looking at mm-hmm. this as a career. Well, I think there's a few things. I mean, again, besides just how hyper competitive it is, they are essentially working as independent workers, and so those who have 
achieve success in this. Um, and I do in the book, kind of at the end of the book, I profile those who have kind of risen to the top and, and have made a living doing this. And what I heard consistently is they have been doing this for years. They have invested an incredible amount of not just time and energy, but, but also money um, in kind of pursuing their passions. And they also revealed um, a lot of the less glamorous work that goes into this. And so we see these images of these sort of dream lifestyles on Instagram and it looks absolutely fantastic where they're kind of frolicking on the beach or going to these fancy restaurants. And when I talked to them, they said, you know, no, this is actually a lot less glamorous because your livelihood depends on putting yourself out there, putting yourself in front of people, having every single opportunity turn into a photo shoot. And so there was this feeling that they can, they can never be off. Even if they're on a family vacation, they're constantly posting, looking for, you know, what's the next photo. Um, a lot of them said they spend most of their time actually doing email, uh, which is very unglamorous as, <laughs> as I very well know. Um, and then they're kind of managing the larger patterns that come with putting yourself in the online space. So some of them are dealing with um, criticism and, you know, cases of misogyny mm -hmm. In other cases, um, they, they feel like they can't take a break because if they take a break, they're going to lose audiences. And if they're losing audiences, they're going to lose advertisers. Um, so, you know, I found out how much pressure is, is placed upon these young people, you know, when your life is constantly in the spotlight and there's this, you know, the personal and the professional completely bleed together. There's no off switch. Yeah, I mean, it really is like being a, a celebrity in a way. You're you're always on. You're always on. And, you know, the difference is, at least with a celebrity, they kind of step into and out of roles. And those that have, you know, celebrities make a lot of money. And so they can hire publicists and agents. And I did speak with some people that, that have hired agents, which is, you know, a whole other issue in terms of thinking about who can afford to hire these people. Um, but because these bloggers and bloggers and influencers, their success is predicated on the fact that they have this, their own authentic voice. And so it's really difficult for them to say, okay, I'm going to, um, you know, hire someone to help me with the project because they don't want to dilute that voice that they, that is so valuable to their audiences. And did you get a sense from any of the, the ones who have sort of made it, the more successful ones, did you get a sense of any, uh, regret and, and maybe a wish that they had gone a different route? Yeah, I mean, one of um, the people I chronicle is, is Heather Armstrong, and she um, was actually a mommy blogger and went into retirement, and there was a lot of, a lot of concern about that because <laughs> she had such a large following, and it was fascinating kind of hearing about what the stakes were of this, this profession. And so for her, because she was a mommy blogger, she wasn't just putting herself in front of the camera. She's putting her kids in front of the camera. And so she was telling me a story about how, um, you know, the kids don't want to wear X brand of, of clothing, but that's where their income comes from. So, you know, getting the kids dressed and telling them, you know, you have to wear this clothing because we need to take photos or you need to eat this for dinner because, um, you know, this, this is paying the bills. And one of the reasons, you know, I asked her, why did you kind of quit doing this? And she's, doing various kind of creative projects now, but she 
she abandoned the blog for a while and she said, you know, it wasn't sustainable. She said, you know, when she first started, this seemed kind of like a, a fantastic way to make a living, especially um, as a mom with young children, she could, she could work from home. And she said the pace of it was completely exhausting. Um, and I interviewed a few other people that when we did follow up interviews a year down the road, they just kind of abandoned it because it got to be too much. And is that is is that sort of a, a common trajectory where the you sort of start out, you make it big, and then you maybe abandon it or move on to other things? So that's kind of a, you know a lot of the people I spoke with wanted to move on to other things, whether it was just having kind of a, a brand that would take in an income, or getting hired to a magazine company or a media company. Um, and so they had they had kind of realized that, as many people in the creative economy do, you can't just specialize in one thing. So when I started the project, I was interviewing bloggers. And now, you know, the term has been completely eclipsed by this whole new model of, of influence. We are always talking about Instagram influencers and who knows how long Instagram is going to last. And so um, one of my informants kind of said, blogging is not the end-all be-all. I have to be this kind of creative Jack or Jill of all trades. I have to be able to write and edit and style and photograph and be in front of the camera and be behind the camera. Um, because any one of these streams may, may disappear at any one moment because everything in this digital economy is, is changing so quickly, especially for workers. And so they really need to kind of have these multi-fluencies rather than just specializing in one particular career stream. And, you know, having these multiple proficiencies is a lot different when you're working on your own versus when you are working in a stable company where they are going to offer you benefits mm. and training and so forth. Yeah, and I mean... Going back to this, to the the pay um, for the people who, for the more common situation of people who aren't making uh, money, any money off of this in a lot of cases, uh, I think by now most of us know that there's a pay gap between men and women when it comes to work in the non-digital world uh, with women earning on average 79 cents for every mm -hmm. dollar a man makes. What does the, what does the pay gap look like in this digital creative economy? So that's really interesting. I just heard something, um, a study that came out of London about two weeks ago that said men were actually um, receiving fewer dollars. Men influencers were receiving fewer dollars than, than female influencers. And um, I haven't been able to access the full study, but what I think this ignores is the fact that the influencer economy, like I said before, skews female. But not only that, it's based on these assumptions about women as the primary consumers. And so um, one of my former colleagues, John Campbell, had this fantastic term. He called it the labor of devotion. And he argued that it's predicated on the assumption that when a man loves a brand, whatever brand it is, he buys it. When a woman loves a brand, whatever brand it is, she circulates this to her, her friends. And so um, Campbell's notion was kind of this is the audience assumption whether then an actual reality. But one of the reasons, if there is this pay gap, and again, I want to look further into this study, it's because these female influencers are seen as kind of this terrific 
nonprofit stream where um, they provide endorsement and followers and a way to get the message across through this channel that kind of bypasses the traditional industry structure of having to place an ad in a magazine or on a TV channel. To go back to something you were talking about, how what are the ways or how are women in the digital sphere uh, sort of challenging this typically male-centric uh, norm as far as the role of producer-consumer? What, what are some of the ways they're, they're, that they're tackling this? Yeah, I think it's really important to think about kind of the, the larger gendered implications of this. And it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of nuance here because in one sense, um, you know, it's, it's a form of empowerment is, is the, the buzz term, but you see the fact that women are bypassing these traditional um, power structures in terms of not having to have a boss or go through the career ladder and kind of face these larger structural disincentives that women in the workplace and especially women in the technology workplace often face. But at the same time, these, these forms of creative work certainly don't get the same form of, of recognition or clout. Um, I've been doing similar to research on this, looking at the work that social media editors do and kind of the, the branding work they do. And you think about kind of the, the behind the scenes labor that goes into this and it's, it's very often dismissed as kind of this feminized, girly work. Um, one writer called it the, the pink ghetto of the technology industry because it's not taken seriously. And you contrast this with the masculine or male-dominated form of behind-the-screen labor that takes place in these same companies, which is the coding um, and the, the computing. And so it's fascinating to see the gendering of these, not just in terms of you know, is this a male creating it or is it a female creating it, but these larger gendered assumptions about who is good at communicating, who is good at selling the products, who is good at consuming the products. And so, you know, I think it's telling that these areas where women are enjoying success, whether it's fashion blogging or beauty blogging or influence, they're also centrally placed within the consumer sphere rather than the producer sphere. Yeah, and and this brings up a good point. I this may be this may be the the million dollar question, but how do you strike a balance between the ability of the internet to to give an outlet uh, for self expression to those who may not have traditionally had one, um, versus the idea that many of the people participating in this aren't making any money for the work they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, it falls into the hands or perhaps the, the whims of employers to to promise and follow through with fair compensation. And so, so many of the people I spoke with said that these companies would reach out to them and be like, hey, you know, essentially we do this work for free. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just this kind of, you know, a particular employer is not recognizing the value, but I think it's more of this cultural dismissal of the fact that this is work. This is a form of productive labor that deserves compensation. And so I think, you know, not just compensation, but getting transparency in the face of this. And it's, it's difficult because not only is the system 
rapidly emerging and unfolding, and who knows if they'll be called influencers next week or some some <laughs> new faddish term. Um, but because they're all kind of individual workers and the structures of support are just beginning to emerge, we have these new influencer agencies and so forth, but the lack of transparency is just absolutely rife because there, there's no larger power to kind of organize. And so, you know, I would, I would love to see more of these workers kind of banding together and advocating for a more fair system to push back against how incredibly lopsided it is. And do you think, um, have you come across any um, indication that, you know, you're saying that, that the, the work isn't valued necessarily or there's, there's no, um, it's not being given the value it deserves. Um, is any of this, social media is such a prevalent thing now. Everybody is on Facebook or Twitter or, or Instagram. Mm-hmm. Is that playing into it? Or is there an attitude that anybody can do this? We're all already on social media, so who cares if you know you're you're on there too? Mm-hmm. So the the democratization ethos that surrounds social media um, is incredibly pervasive, and we're constantly assured that anyone can make it, provided they have the right content, a new idea, um, the perfect niche. And so that that feeds into this whole system of of content creation and really benefiting the social media companies because it's encouraging us all to put our our best ideas online, put our best ideas um, out there as part of this larger meritocracy. And one of the other things that increasingly plays into this and that I find absolutely fascinating um, is the emergence of these sort of educational slash socialization tools for aspiring content creators. And so um, Earl, there's two things this summer that I think are so telling. So the first was that the news came that there's a college in China um, outside of Shanghai that is actually offering a major in social media content creation and teaches young people. And I think it's almost all young women in, enrolled in this program how to do things like, you know, model products on YouTube and um, have a brand persona and so forth. And then a few weeks later, um, I saw this really interesting profile that I think it was in Verge. And it talks about this new summer camp for aspiring social media creators. And it's run in LA and it's promised by, or it's, it's run by um, a former YouTuber. And so there, there's so many of these different programs. A lot of bloggers are trying to kind of get into the education socialization, whether it's by books or online courses. And all of these have this same promise that you too can make it. You too can become a star. And it's, it, I mean, it's an impossible system to, to sustain. I mean, we, we can't all become stars, um, but there's kind of this, this new form of, education that's certainly outside the walls of of higher education is coming from the content creators themselves that offer this promise this this pipe dream of making it in the career economy because they've done it but it it conceals the larger realities it sounds like the uh this the like real estate courses and things you can take you know anybody yes. anybody can flip a house <laughs> anyone and make... can do it yeah <laughs> so yeah i how can how can we as a society uh push back on this notion of not being paid for these types of jobs because whether or not people think anyone can do it 
and not everyone can. And obviously, there's much more that goes into becoming a successful um, influencer. So how do how do we or how do uh, the the bloggers and the and the social media um, influencers push back against that? And who should be leading that charge? I I think the charge should be led by those who have privilege. And by that, I mean those who have the most success in this industry. And one of the examples I I really like, and I've um, spoken with her before, is is Gabby Dunn. She's a YouTuber. And she had this fantastic fusion piece, which was, I think it was called the Sad Economics of Internet Fame. And she was essentially showing how, hey, despite the fact that I'm a YouTuber and I may have legions of fans, I'm not really making that much money. And so she was peeling back the curtain on the the seeming glamour of online fame. And so I think accounts such as that are very telling because they show, you know, not just is this perhaps um, unlikely to happen to you, but it's actually a lot of work. It takes a lot of time and talent and energy. And so I think that's kind of our, our best hope for getting the voice out there because, you know, as an academic, I, I can speak, but um, it's not going to have the same clout as somebody who has worked in this industry for years and who has seen some of the, the downsides of this and can challenge these very pervas- pervasive myths of anyone can do it. It's easy work. You're just doing what you love and posting it. Right, and they and they have the audience already, and probably a lot of their audience is looking to them as inspiration for following the same sort of career path. Exactly. <laughs> it it reminds me a little bit, you know, of th- this seems to be a trend online, especially of sort of peeling back the the mystique of certain fields. Um, you see it a lot uh, with models who will who have Instagram accounts where they they. Um, take pictures of themselves with no makeup on to sort of dispel some of these, uh, you know, uh, body image issues and things like that. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear that it's also maybe happening a little bit in the influencer world. Yeah, the other very well-known case was um, Asina O'Neill, who was an Australian Instagrammer. I don't know if you're familiar with the case, but she, um, this was about two years ago, she had a very large following. She's mm-hmm. young, beautiful girl and, um, you know, seemingly had this perfect life. And one day she, she, you know, kind of had this teary YouTube clip where saying like, this is not real life. This is actually exhausting. I'm promoting things I don't like. I'm spending every second before the camera. Um, I'm so, con- you know, body image concerns are rife and so forth. And she actually went back to her Instagram account and edited a lot of her shots <laughs> to show like, what actually went into this? Like, oh, this looks like a beautiful beachscape. But she said, you know, like, I'm sucking in my stomach and my sister took 30 photos <laughs> and I'm starving. And um, it got a lot of attention. And she she really did. She's kind of disappeared from social media for the past year and a half. But I think one of the reasons, you know, that got so much popular attention was for the same reasons, um, you know, as you're mentioning with the models is because, in the popular imagination, we have this idea of what it would be like and the people that are in these fields saying, actually, no, you're, you're missing a lot of what goes on here. <laughs> and I think, I mean, even in a more general sense, th- it seems like this is, is 
uh, a problem that is being talked about in that when you look at anybody's Facebook feed your, or Twitter account or Instagram, you're only seeing the best things that happen to them. Nobody's taking a picture of, you know, their fight with their spouse or, or something like yeah. that. And so there's these idealized uh, worlds online um, that I think do have an effect on the way people feel about their own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just talking with someone earlier and thinking, you know, about this new project that focusing on what it means to like do it for the Insta or do it for the gram. And <laughs> I've talked to my students about this, but the the situations we put ourselves in and the lengths we go to to maintain this beautifully curated Instagram feed that may have little or no bearing on our real life. And there's, I, you know, I think a lot of recognition and kind of reflexivity about this performative element but the question is like how do we get out of this because so many of us do it. i mean i have these moments where i'm doing the same thing and i'm you know <laughs> what am i doing what why am i going um doing x to take this this perfect shot of this tree or these flowers or whatever it may be so what advice do you have or maybe uh do some of the people through through the interviews and and, and people you've talked to do you have for women who may be listening to this podcast who are thinking about becoming uh, a social media producer or who are, who are aspiring to make a career out of this? So I would say the first thing is know your value. Um, and I think this goes for any young person, especially if they're even looking at unpaid internships. Um, you know, you you should be getting paid for your creative work and your talents. Um and I think talking to people in the industry is always incredibly valuable, people who actually have done this, to find out, you know, whether this is the right path for you. Um, and, and finally, you know, I, I like the advice that one of my informants had that I mentioned earlier where, you know, you, you don't want to just specialize in one particular platform or medium that may not be here down the road. So, you know, is it – are you someone who enjoys writing? Are you someone who enjoys – photography what's kind of the the larger interest or talent or skill set that you want to cultivate that isn't necessarily linked to one of these platforms well the book is not getting paid to do what you love gender social media and aspirational work brooke thank you for joining me today thanks again michael great to chat that does it for this week's episode of the yale university press podcast thank you for listening and if you like what we're doing please leave us a rating it helps out a lot and be sure to visit YaleBooks.com to keep up with this podcast as well as the latest from our blog and our authors. For more episodes, please subscribe on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite app.